I'd like you to meet Nabe Tajima. She's from Japan. And on the 15th of this month, she became the oldest person living in the world today whose age can be verified. She was born on the 4th of August, 1900. Which means that she is amazingly 117 years old and 50 days. She's a huge family. She's got more than 140 descendants. 28 grandchildren, 56 great-grandchildren, 35 great-great-grandchildren. Can you imagine Christmas? Christmas shopping? Terrible. But even Nabi has a, a while to go before she matches this woman here, Jean Jean or Jean uh, Calmont, who's the oldest person on record. She died on the 4th of August 1997 at the ripe old age of 122 years old and 164 days. The story I love about this woman here is she also outlived a guy called Mr. Raffrey. When Jean was, was 90 years old, Mr. Raffrey bought the apartment that she used to live in, in a, on a contingency contract. That meant that she would pay, or he would pay her, the equivalent of about 400 euro a month until she died, and then he would move into the apartment and he would own the apartment. <laughs> he thought he was getting a real good bargain. She was 90. Surely she would not last that much longer. But when Mr. Raffrey died at the age of 77, he'd paid more than $180,000 for it. More than double the apartment's worth. And he never did get to move into her apartment. It's amazing that some people manage to live so long, isn't it? Of course, it's more mainly women who live so long, not guys. And yet, compared to the people that we're going to read about this morning... In Genesis chapter 5, even their lives seem incredibly short. But within this passage is the hope of a life that actually goes on forever. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 5. If you're ever reading through the Bible, Genesis chapter 5 might be one of the ones that you're tempted to kind of skim read or jump over. But I think there's something really important that we could learn here. So Genesis chapter 5 Verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 27. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created Adam, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. And he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. 
When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel, and after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived 910 years. And then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived 895 years. And then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years. And then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more. Because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years. And then he died. A couple of months ago, we noted that the book of Genesis is divided up into sections by this little phrase, this is the written account of. And so our passage this morning begins one of these sections in this book of Genesis because it begins with, this is the written account of Adam's line. Now last week, we were looking at one branch of Adam's line, if you remember, through his eldest son, Cain. But here the focus is on another of his line, uh, Adam's descendants, his son Seth. Now Seth was the son that was granted to Adam after Cain, his eldest, had killed his brother Abel. And God was going to start a new family line through Seth, a family line that was going to seek after God. But before we get into the details of this family line, this section reminds us, first of all, of the uniqueness of the design and purpose of human beings. Look at verse 1 again. God created man. He created a male and female. God created human beings. We are not here by chance. We're not here to live out a meaningless and purposeless existence. We're not the product of millions of years of, of, of mutations in our DNA and random selection. Instead, we've been carefully designed and created by God. We are God's masterpiece. Made with a unique and wonderful purpose and plan for our lives. We've been created by God. That's because he made him or man in the likeness of God. Now of course we're not identical to God. There are so many ways that God is different from us. But we were made to be like God. We were made to resemble God. Morally, 
spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, relationally. We are made to represent God on this planet. Represent His rule, taking the responsibility of leadership in this world. Caring for God's world as God cares for it. We were made to reflect God's image. His glory. In a unique and wonderful way. And so it says that God blessed us. He put his divine favour on us in a special way in this world. But of course, if you've been with us through this little series, you've seen that the sin in the Garden of Eden means that we've all fallen short of that design and purpose. We've rebelled against God. We've messed up our lives and in this world. But amazingly, God's design and plan for our lives has not been completely lost or destroyed by sin. We see this in in verse 4. So it says that Adam had lived 130 years. He had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. They named him Seth. Seth was born in the likeness and image of Adam, who was made in the likeness and image of God. And I think that what that is saying is, even though sin has deformed and distorted our lives, and so we're not the people we should be or we were made to be, this passage says that we still have the value and dignity of God's image bearers. We are still created in God's likeness. We're still called to resemble God. We're still called to represent God. We're still called to reflect God's glory. Even though we live in this fallen and messed up world, we are still, as human beings, made in the image of God. With all of what that means in terms of our value, our our, our purpose and and God's plan for our lives. But I think this passage does really impact uh, demonstrate the impact of sin in our lives. If you look at verse 5, altogether Adam lived 930 years and then he died. There's two things in this passage I want to, or this verse I want to bring out. But I think the first one that jumps out of us us, is just that number. 930. Adam lived 930 years. Then Seth, 912 years. Enosh, 905. Kenan, 910. Mahalalel, 895. Jared, 962. And then the longest of all, Methuselah, 969. Great for Bible trivia. Okay, Methuselah, 969. Oldest guy in the Bible. But are we really meant to believe that a guy can live, or did live, nearly a thousand years Is that what we're supposed to understand from this passage? Does that make sense? Well, some people say, no, that's not what the passage means at all. This is just a mistranslation. Instead of years, these refer to months. Okay? So, that makes Methuselah 78 and a half years old when he died, which makes much more sense. Problem is, it also makes his dad, Enoch, only five years old when Methuselah was born. 
which is a bit of a problem. Other people suggest that these are not the lifetime, the lifespan of a, of a person, but of a dynasty. So it's not that Methuselah lived for 969 years, but his clan had dominion or ruled for that long. But the problem is that's not what the passage is saying. And it doesn't make sense when it kind of highlights individuals within that and tells us what they said or did. And then some people just reject this passage completely as nothing more than the ignorant myth of a primitive people. It's just a story, they tell us. After all, they say, there are other cultures with at least superficially similar stories. Loads of other cultures that have stories of people living vast number of years and then afterwards a flood. For example, there's this stone tablet, the Sumerian king list. It has a list of eight kings whose lives span thousands of years and then ended by a flood. But the problem is those sceptics can't explain why there are such similar myths across such diverse cultures. Is it not more likely that they all point back to some historical reality? Now, they've been twisted and distorted over time, but they point back to a reality. Something that happened way back in time that does reflect what we see in Genesis. So these myths in other cultures actually support the historical reliability of the Genesis account. They help us to believe that what is written here is the truth. And that's what we as a church believe, because we believe that all scripture is God-breathed. All of it. Not just part of it, but all of the Bible is inspired by God. So all of it, not just part of it, is true and accurate. And so we're going to follow in the footsteps of people like Luke in the Bible, who when he listed the family line of Jesus, he went right back to Adam, going through all the people that we mentioned in our passage this morning. So I believe that this chapter is the literal and the accurate family line of Adam. But is it just not impossible for human beings to live this long? Is that just not a scientific fact that people, human beings, just cannot live into their 900th year? But of course, when we say that, our problem is that we're basing that conclusion on what things are like today. On the evidence of what we can observe today. So today, people don't live over those kind of, uh, don't live those kind of years. Even with the, the benefit of modern science and all of the technology and all of the advances that we see around us, still that kind of top level seems to be around 120 mark. But the reality is we don't know what it was like for Adam and his close relatives. The lifespans recorded in the Bible actually drastically drop after the flood. So here we have the guys we mentioned uh, in our passage, Adam, Seth, Enosh, uh, Mahalal, Jared, and all those guys. And then we have Noah. And then afterwards, the lifespan recorded in the Bible drastically reduce. 
So some people suggest that it's possible that the flood that caused catastrophic effects on this planet, changes in our environment, or maybe even a, a genetic bottleneck, as there were only eight survivors, as we'll see in a few weeks' time, that that is what shortened human lifespans to what we see around us today. Other people have suggested that these long lifespans were possible because there hadn't been thousands of years of genetic mutations passed down to them in their DNA. The problem is, today we have, even although so much is is known about our bodies, much of the science of ageing is unknown. But we do know that things like a single point mutation in our DNA can cause a huge increase in the speed of ageing. So kids... Like this little boy here on the right hand side who's actually 17 years old when the the picture was taken suffer from progeria and they have a whole load of symptoms that that resemble somebody who's really, really old and they have a tragically short lifespan. So is it possible that we, all of us are carrying those kind of genetic mutations and that's why our lifespans are so much shorter than we see before the flood. (coughs) <coughs> I'm not suggesting that we understand why. All I'm saying is there are possible explanations. But however we get our, try and get our head round these incredibly long number of years, the other part of Genesis chapter 5 is much easier to understand, isn't it? You've got Adam lived 830 years and you think, really? Then you see, then he died. You think, oh yeah, okay. Adam and his descendants may have lived for a long, long time, but they didn't live forever. Each of them, apart from one, as we'll see in a minute or two, died. And that's easier to accept because it matches our experience on this planet, doesn't it? I don't know if you read the news, but this week's news has been full of people dying in hurricanes in the Caribbean, in that tragic earthquake in Mexico in ethnic cleansing in Myanmar, through another murder in Dublin, or through another tragic accident on a farm just south of here in Wexford. But you know, every day it is estimated that 150,000 people die every single day in this world. This is the reality of the world. Death comes to us all. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 and 2, a passage that's often read at funerals. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. But does that mean that death is supposed to be just accepted as a natural part of the cycle of life? Are we just supposed to say, oh yeah, that's okay. I don't think so. I don't think that's how we feel when we're confronted with the reality of death. I think there's something deep within us that says death is wrong. That this is not the way this world was meant to be. I have to say, I've never stood at the grave of a loved one and thought, oh well, they had a long enough life. That's fine. Or I spent enough time together with them. That's fine. I'm not bothered. I don't think you you or I would stand like that. And that agrees with what the Bible says. The Bible says death is an enemy. 
Death is an invader in this world that doesn't really belong. So Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Sin entered the world through one man, that was Adam, as we've seen in the Garden of Eden, and death through sin. And in this way death came to all men, because all sin. This is why death is our universal experience. Because through Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And that's the wages of that is death. And so this account of Adam's line, where each little section ends with, and he died, and he died, and he died, That record of life and death is an ongoing pattern that everyone is to follow. Well, nearly everyone. Because there's one man here, one man whose experience here was radically different. And he offers to us today an amazing hope. Verse 22. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. Becoming a parent can be a life-changing experience for many of us. And it seems like it was like that for Enoch. Because when his son was born, he began to walk with God. And as a result of his sin, when Adam heard God walk in the Garden of Eden, he said, I was afraid, so I hid. Adam's sin and rebellion destroyed his relationship of love with God and replaced it with guilt and fear. And maybe you remember Cain, because of his murdering of his brother, he ended up even further away from God. He went out from the Lord's presence, further and further from God. But that wasn't Enoch's experience. Enoch walked with God. That distance, that separation as a result of sin, that feeling of of separation from God was overcome in Enoch's life. Enoch's communion with God was restored. (coughs) Enoch lived in that knowledge of God's presence and the joy of God's friendship. But how? How is it possible for this guy Enoch to walk with God? (coughs) How was he able to enjoy fellowship and love with God? Well, it wasn't because Enoch was perfect. It wasn't because Enoch was sinless. It wasn't because he was a good man. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. We know that, don't we? We've all sinned and messed up our lives. And everybody we've met has also been a sinner who's also made mistakes and messed up their lives in action and word and thought. We've all done what we shouldn't have done and not done what we should have done. Neither was Enoch walking with God because of it. he was really religious. Because no amount of prayers or offerings or ceremonies could overcome that barrier of sin. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness. And that's because our sin, the payment of our sin, is death. So being religious doesn't overcome that barrier. 
Being religious doesn't pay that price. <coughs> so how was Enoch able to be in communion with God? Well, I mentioned Hebrews chapter 11 earlier today. And in verse 5 and 6 it says this, By faith Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Enoch was able to walk with God because of his faith in God. Yes, this would change how Enoch lived his life. His faith in God would impact his attitudes and his actions and ambitions. It would make him want to seek after God each day. It would make him want to spend time in prayer with God. It would make him want to serve God faithfully in his life. Faith, James says, without deeds is dead. If you claim to have faith in Jesus, but it doesn't make any better difference in your everyday lives, then the Bible says that's not real faith. But it's that faith that brought Enoch into relationship with God. Not his goodness, not being a really nice person, not being deeply religious, but his faith that overcame that separation of sin. It was faith that saved him. And it's the same for us. We can only be saved through faith in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in Jesus. So Enoch walked with God because of his faith. But Enoch also shows why that faith is so vitally important for us in our lives. Some suggest that Enoch was warned about the coming flood. And because of this, he called his son Methuselah, which some people suggest means when he dies, it shall come. And through working out the lifespans recorded in the Bible, we realise that Methuselah died just immediately before the flood came. Now, whether that's true, if it is true, then we shouldn't be surprised that Methuselah's lifespan is actually the longest recorded in the Bible. Because it kind of, it reminds us about God's patience. His delay to his coming judgment. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is a patient God. But if we go into the book of Jude in the book in the New Testament, we realise that Enoch really was a prophet. He was somebody who spoke God's words. And he saw even further ahead, not just maybe the flood coming, but a further judgment to come. So Jude says about Enoch, that Enoch said, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone. And to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done. So Enoch's words are a warning to this world. Yes, in mercy, God is still waiting. But one day, the Lord is going to come with thousands upon of angels to judge everyone. And to convict everybody who are guilty before God. That's a warning that we need to share with the world. Judgment is coming. But it's also a warning that we need to heed ourselves. Because if we're still here this morning, 
And we are not walking with God. If we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus yet, then we mustn't delay any longer. Because judgment is coming. But if Enoch's words are a word of warning of judgment to come, then I think his experience is a wonderful preview of the life that's to come for those who trusted in Jesus. Because after Enoch lived 365 years, Enoch was no more because God took him away. Unlike all of the rest of Adam's line, Enoch didn't die. Instead, he wonderfully, God wonderfully stepped in and saved him from death. And Enoch went with walking with God on this earth to living with God in heaven without death in between. And this is the hope for all of us who have trusted in Jesus, isn't it? We've been singing about that this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let me read a couple of verses. It says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. For us who have trusted in Jesus, death is not the end. We don't read this account in in chapter 5 of Genesis and say, well, that's the, the destiny for us as well. And he died, full stop, end of story. That's not the end of story for us, is it? The grave is not our final destination. It said, those of us who have died in Christ, we will be risen again and we will go to be with Jesus forever. And those of us who are here in this world, alive and remain when the moment that Christ comes back, like Enoch, we will go in an instant from walking on this earth with God to going to be with God forever in heaven. Why? Well, because of the cross of Jesus. Because that's the victory that Jesus won for us on the cross. When he died in our place, when he rose again on the third day, Jesus defeated sin. He broke those chains of death. And he transformed our destiny. So this wonderful verse that we all, I think, probably know, God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this written account of Adam's line is not a hopeless catalogue of the impact of sin in the world. Yes, for now there is an experience of life and death. Yes, for now there is a struggle and there is suffering in this fallen world. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus, there are sure and certain hope that sin won't have the final say in our lives. Because of Jesus, we can have that present joy of walking in fellowship with God every day of our lives. And we can look forward in confidence to 
a wonderful day when Jesus will come back. And we will see him face to face. And we will be like him. And we will be with him. 